Nice. Good morning, y'all. How's everybody doing this morning? Dang. What what'd you say? Bueno. Bueno, okay. Dan's up here by himself. Uh, well, good morning, guys. I really am. Uh, I'm pumped to be here with you all. Um, uh, yeah, it's been a good morning so far. Uh, I was, uh, I was kind of wondering, I was like, man, how, how am I, uh, going to, to start this morning? What, what do I, what do I want to say? I kind of have like a, like a overview of like what I want to say. Um, just like to start, don't worry guys, I have a, I have an outline over here. Um, just like how I want to start and I, I want to, uh, one, I want to thank Andrew. I think Andrew does this every week, um, where he, uh, just kind of like prays, uh, for us. And I feel like every, um, like leading out of worship. And I think a lot of like his prayers lately have been, um, I think just desiring to trust in the, like just a lot of people, um, Maybe he's going through some hard things in his life, and so I think that comes out in his prayers. I think of like just a lot of people in these these times of transition, where I think the summer can both feel like very exciting because it's kind of like turning the page into this next season. Um, seniors turning a big page into this next season, um, but I think whenever we turn any page, I think that does come with some hardship and um, some sadness. And uh, so. I'll pre- particularly like how I want to start. I want to, like we've been in, we've been in the book of Acts all semester. We're kind of wrapping up. We have um, just this week and next week. And I want to go back uh, to like maybe one of the first ones I think, I think Emily talked about. I think I've talked about this a lot. Um, but it's just Acts nine fifteen to 16. And it says, um, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Andrew's prayer. And then that, that made me think of, of uh, Andrew and Andrew's prayer. And I think, um, I hope this is an encouragement um, to you, Andrew. I hope this is an encouragement to everybody. Um, is in there, it says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And then it follows up, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. He, uh, this is, this is um, uh, Jesus kind of uh, approaching Ananias and talking about Paul. And Paul um, is persecuting Christians. He comes to know the Lord and then like his life is just radically transformed. And we just see over the next, um, what is it, 15, 16 chapters, which kind of covers 20 plus years of ministry, um, we get to see what, what God does through this chosen instrument of Paul. And particularly this part says he's going to go, that you are going to proclaim my name to kings, the gospel. Well, that's what, that's what we're going to be in uh, today is we're going to see Paul proclaiming the gospel um, to some prominent leaders and I, and I hope what that's encouraging is, is that, one, God says, you're going to go do this. And it took Paul 20 years to get to that part of his ministry. I think we can struggle with patience. I think we can, uh, this isn't what most of my message is going to be on, but, but um, yeah, I think we can struggle with patience. I think we can struggle with, man, what is God doing? And part of this thing that, that, um, that uh, God has set aside for Paul takes 20 years 
to accomplish. Now, did Paul talk to other kings um, during his 20 years? I think he probably did. I think he was talking uh, to prominent leaders. But, I, but yeah, just this, this central point of where we're going is like whenever he is talking to these kings. And so I think that is like, I think a lot of times we can be like, man, what, God, what are you doing? And he says that you're going to do this. It's going to take 20 years. And he's like, you're going to suffer a lot. Um, so maybe that's not encouraging that, that um, 20 years and maybe we're going to suffer a lot. Um, but I think what we see um, in this, uh, that we'll see in this passage is, is ultimately um, God is good and, and that God is, is the one kind of like dictating, um, dictating our path. So like I said, we're, we're going to be in these trials. It's going to be three trials. Paul is Paul is going to talk to, um, he is going to talk to this man, Felix. He's going to talk to a man named Festus, and he's going to talk to another man named Agrippa. And he's kind of brought before this. I think Aaron last week talked about how um, there was this uprising happening um, in Jerusalem because um, of Paul being there, going, going to worship. And um, now he's been kind of taken to these barracks, and now he is in prison, and he's getting, he's going before uh, three prominent figures. And this made me think a lot of, of Jesus's own um, trial, that Jesus is tried the night before, uh, or all of these different, of like his crucifixion late night into the morning, and he is tried, and, and it's kind of all of these different leaders, all these different people bringing forth um, all of these accusations of, of things that Jesus had done. Just slandering Jesus' name, like saying all of um, these things that were just untrue, and some things that were true, true being like him claiming to be um, claiming to be God. And what does, how does Jesus respond whenever he is having all these accusations thrown at him? Uh, he says nothing. Um, in fact, in, in 26, uh, Matthew 26, uh, there's just, um, oh man, I just, uh, this is, uh, this is um, the council talking to Jesus in Matthew uh, 26, 62. And he said, and the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remains silent. He doesn't silent. Whenever uh, Pilate comes and talks to Jesus, he remains silent. He does not get up there to try and justify himself. Jesus, like Paul, had done nothing wrong. And yet ultimately, um, ultimately he uh, lets God be his justification I heard this, this story really impacted my life last year. Um, I was sitting in a different service. Uh, my, my wife, Lucy, and I, were, we were sitting there, and um, the pastor started preaching out of Matthew, um, started preaching out of this passage. And um, just kind of un, just going into detail about all of these different things that, that people were kind of lumping or throwing um, at Jesus. And I, and I remember um, that I just started uh, to weep in this this church, um, I just start to feel overwhelmed uh, because um, I was like, I would not respond this way. I think a lot of turmoil in my life, and I think I, I was feeling um, a lot of insecurity. I think I was feeling like a lot of turmoil in my life. I, I was feeling a lot of insecurity of like people bringing um, their frustrations to me whenever I felt like, man. I, 
I am just trying my best. I'm doing my best to to serve you. I'm doing my best to, to serve people. And it was just falling short. And I was like, no, I want to argue with them. I love to argue. Um, I love to, I think one of my biggest uh, sin struggles is just self-justification. Um, I wanted to say, no, what? you don't understand. I'm trying to care for you. You feel uncared for by me or you, you feel like I, I'm hurting you. It's like, no, this is wrong. And I think in that moment, I felt very seen by the Lord. That I don't know if you, if you are like me, but I think whenever we have these um, accusations brought before us, I think it, in our flesh, we can, I think we can respond a lot of different ways. I think we can, I think we can be passive about it. I think we can run away. Um, I think we can want to self-justify. I think we can want to like fight our way out of it. And, and that's what, um, that is what I wanted to do that morning. I wanted to, to fight my way out of that situation. And I think in that moment, I think I just really felt like God saying, Kyle, it is okay to let go. It's okay that you fell short in these areas or didn't. Is that ultimately, I am, I am, I am the good judge. I am the judge before you and I've already forgiven you. I think I don't live in that freedom a lot of times. I think I, I, think I live um, in chains of like where, where I, want, um, I want to justify things. But I, but I want us to see today um, this one thing through these three trials is that because Jesus is alive, already has rose from the grave, the greatest trial in our lives already has a verdict. But that verdict of, of, our, of our guilt before the Lord um, has already been decided and that if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, um, then we are innocent before the Lord and that we don't need to cling to these different ways in, in which um, our flesh maybe tries to, to put our identity in um, these accusations, rather um, that Jesus is the answer. Would you guys pray with me, and then I'm, I'm going to hop into these um, trials. Uh, Lord, uh, we, uh, yeah, we come before you today, um, hopefully with, with open hands, that whatever uh, season we're in, um, whether we are in a, in a joyful season, we're in a sorrowful season, whenever in, we're in a, a time of great change, we uh, are just needing um, to just... Be patient and rely on you, Lord. Would we, um, yeah, would we come uh, with open hands and just trust that, that you um, have what's best for us? Would you speak through um, your passage today? Amen. Dan, can I, can I give you these? Thanks, man. Actually, I'm going to give you this, too. I like to fidget, and so I ha- so like I can feel myself playing with my AirPods, just kind of flipping it back and forth. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna give it to Dan. So if you guys um, can help keep Dan accountable, not to steal these from me, I know where you live. Um, like I said, we are gonna be in Acts 24, 
25 and 26 today. And, and this kind of outlines, um, outlines these three trials. So, so first, it's going to be um, Paul meeting before uh, Felix, who's kind of the, the governor um, of this area. Area 25 is going to move into um, his job with this man named Festus, who kind of takes over um, Felix's job. And then, um, and then the last one in 26 is going to be Paul talking before um, this man, Agrippa, and his wife, Bernice. Uh, so 24, Felix, this first guy. Um, I, I kind of label, I kind of outline these, these, um, these trials in a couple different ways. And so this one, um, I just have Felix, um, the, this buried verdict. Sorry, my iPad is going nuts. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you'll have him with me. 24, 13 through 16. It says, Neither can they prove to you that they now bring up against me, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a, God, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of God and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. So this is Paul. He, he has said that Felix is hearing all of, all of these Jews um, come before him and say, Paul has started this uprising. Paul is causing an insurrection. Um, Paul is, is blaspheming. Like they're, they're bringing all of these things um, to Felix before, um, before Paul. And, and just kind of slandering him. And, the, and then Paul's just like, I'm not doing any of these things. He essentially is like, I, I haven't even been here long enough to do these things. Like, I, I've, been, I've been in town for less than a week. How can I cause an insurrection um, in a place that I've been in for less than a week? And I think in this moment, he has a chance to either, I think, to, to really, um, I think, really like double down um, on like that he isn't wrong, which he, which he has done nothing wrong, but what he chooses to do instead to give his uh, is to glorify the Lord. He starts to give his testimony um, to Felix. He, he starts to talk about how um, God has changed his life. I think a, a question that I'm even trying to think of in my, my own life is, is, yeah, like in my life, how do I respond um, when accusations are brought before me? How, how do you respond when accusations are brought before you? How do you respond when you have the truth brought for you, brought before you? How do you respond when people, I think, confront you? I think we see Paul, Paul kind of lines out the truth. He's very rational. He's very um, straightforward. He doesn't, um, he doesn't point fingers. He doesn't do anything. He, ju he just tries to give the facts. And I, then I think he starts um, to do something else. Um, and, and then I'll pick up in Acts 24. He says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. 
I think even, I'm, I'm going to keep going, but, but in this moment, I think what we see is, is that like these Felix and his, and his wife, um, Drusilla, are kind of like, almost having like a Bible study with Paul. They're, kind of, they're, they're asking him about the way. They're asking him about Jesus. They're asking him about why, why are you doing what you're doing? And then, and then Paul kind of turns it on Felix and starts confronting him about some things. Starts confronting him about his righteousness, about his self-control. You see, Felix is, uh, is not a great dude. Felix, um, he marries, I think it's his cousin, um, that's like 15. We see this, that even man, um, Felix is taking money from people. He's accepting bribes. We see this, that even that the, one of the main reasons that Felix is even interacting with Paul and all these times is that he's hoping Paul will give him money so he can, he can let him go. Um, that ultimately the reason that, that Paul is even in jail is because Felix is afraid of what the Jews are going to do um, if they release him, that he doesn't want a bunch of upset people with him. And so Felix, whenever he's confronted by the truth, he runs away. He gets alarmed. He's like, he has a chance in that moment um, he has a, to, uh, to really relent. He has a chance to let go, but instead he, he doubles down and, and he wants to do it himself. And, and so he runs away. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus in desiring to do the Jews a favor he left, left Paul in prison. He left Paul in prison for two years because he didn't want to upset people. And yet, whenever he's conversing with Paul, he just, whenever he's confronted with his own sin, his own um, shortcomings, um, he doesn't want to hear it. I think in this, we see an unhealthy shame versus a healthy conviction. That that Felix has this unhealthy shame, that he feels ashamed of who he is. He feels ashamed of what he's done whenever, whenever the truth is brought, for him, brought before him. And Paul has this healthy conviction of, man, I know where I'm going. I, I, know, that, I know that God has ordained what I'm doing. I know that I, I can trust confidently that I'm following Jesus in this season. And so I'm good. Paul's hope for justice is not, he knows, is already in Felix. Paul's justice, he knows, is already in the resurrection, and so he does not need to stand before Felix and argue. Rather, he preaches the gospel to him. I think it's good for us to remember that there may not be justice for us in our lifetime. There might not be justice for us in all times. And that isn't for us to go and, go and seek that out for ourselves. That doesn't mean that we don't, we don't fight for justice, but that justice is ultimately the Lord's. That what justice looks like for Paul in some of these instances, even if we go back to Acts 9, is that he's going to suffer a lot for God's name. So I think in that, like, man, I, I know too often, I've said this, that, yeah, whenever I want, I want, 
whenever I can be confronted. My, that is my flesh, is that I want, I want to run. I think I, I, uh, I use this example um, all the time um, with my friend Stink over here. Where I'm like, I, I talk to her because uh, we'll have like, we, we meet up every week. We talk for like an hour and a half, two hours. We just talk about life. And uh, all the time I say, uh, Stink, you, you make fun of me all the time for drinking coffee. I don't know if you guys know this about me. I really like to drink coffee. Um, and uh, I have like, uh, I, I, I'd say I'm a little pretentious about coffee. Um, I have like particular interests. I really like light roast. Dawn's back there nodding her head. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I'm a little particular when it comes to coffee. Um, but, but I love it. What, what are people saying? What did you say, Neil? I said a little. A little. Yeah, maybe just a little, guys. Okay, I like coffee, okay? That's like my main hobby. You might be like, how does somebody make coffee? Uh, just come over to my house. I'll show you how you make coffee a hobby. It's, it's kind of intense. Um, people make fun of me all the time for it. I make fun of other people about their coffee all the time. Um, I, I tell her, I'm like, does that ever strike you? Is that you make fun of me all the time? Do you think that, do you think that phases me at all? It does not, because I love coffee. I have this healthy, maybe unhealthy, conviction that coffee, that I am right and that coffee is good, that the type of coffee that I like is far superior than anything else. And it's like nothing that you can say can convince me otherwise. Now, there are things I can't think any of the top of my head that if you came and you made fun of me for, maybe I would bail on um, doing this. I was telling Quinn uh, this week about this story in sixth grade. Um, I thought glasses were cool. And, um, and so I, uh, I got my mom to take me to the eye doctor um, and I fudged. I was like squinting. I was like, totally lied on it. I was like, I can see, uh, I can see fine. But I was like, I was like squinting. I was like, yeah, whenever I read, I get a headache. I knew what I could say in order to get glasses. Now, don't ask me why that was, I don't know that anybody's out here lying because they want to wear glasses. You just get some fake glasses, but apparently sixth grade me didn't know you could get glasses with just neutral lenses. You had to get um, that. So anyway, so I lied. And uh, I wore them one day, one day. And uh, this group of kids in my math class made fun of me. And uh, I never wore these glasses again. My mom was so pissed. She, she spent like $150 on these glasses. Um, I, I did not have a healthy conviction um, about my glasses. Um, I do think that I have a healthy conviction about coffee. What that can mean is, is that, man, God, that Paul was so secure in what God was calling him to do that nothing anybody brought before him was going to move him. Times as I do coffee. I wish I had the same conviction about the Lord sometimes as I do coffee, that I think my life would be different if I felt that same level of conviction. I think that we can get blown in the wind, that whenever these storms come in, and I think whenever we feel like, man, like I have to do this thing because my parents want me to do it, because this leader wants me to do it, because my teacher wants me to do it, that we are, that we are driven because we're afraid because maybe we have some amount of shame of what does that person say um, 
what will that person say if I, if I don't do X, Y, or Z? I think Emily shared a couple weeks ago where she said um, maybe something that, that almost prevented her from going on staff or something that she was maybe ashamed of or, or could be was, uh, I think you put it, um, Emily, is, is like, uh, what are the people in my major going to say about me if I don't go into communications or something? I don't even know what that is. Um, how did you say it? Close enough. That what that what if what will my coworkers what will my classmates think of me if I don't get a job in X if I don't um, do Y with my life that ultimately is is that we are we are allowing that person to put um, some amount of of conviction some amount of uh, maybe even casting a verdict on our life that I don't think they have the power to do that I think God only has the power to do. Uh, moving on, I think I'll, I'll keep getting on, on tangents there. Just remember, coffee good, shame bad, if that's what you guys can take away from this. Um, healthy conviction in God is good. Unhealthy shame is not the best. Uh, so now, now moving in, is, is talking... We pick up in uh, chapter 25, and uh, Paul is, is talking um, to this man, Festus. And I call this one um, a blurred verdict, that, that um, Festus uh, is just, he comes in, he takes over Felix, and so he just kind of picks up all of the problems that Festus left with him. And one of these problems happens to be Paul and how people interact with him. So in Acts 25, 7, we have, When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer and have nothing to their for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give them up to me. I appeal to Caesar. So Festus knows that he has no real merit to hold Paul. That Paul is a Roman citizen and, and, um, and Festus is working uh, for Caesar. And so he's like, I, I, don't have any, I don't have anything to hold him for. He's like, I want to send you back to Jerusalem to be tried there. And Paul's like, I really don't want to go back there because those guys are going to kill me. And and so, so Festus is just kind of trying to manipulate this situation. It's almost even like how Pilate was manipulating the situation where he's like, I don't, I don't think Jesus has done anything wrong. I want to give him back to the Jews because I, I don't have any, I have authority, but it's like I don't want to upset any, any group of people. I want, I want my passivity um, is what um, Festus, I just want, really what I want is this problem to be gone. <laughs> That's what, that's what um, Festus wants. Picks back up in verse 12. It says, Then Festus, when he, had heard, when, he, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at um, Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, 
uh, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. So when they came together, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils, I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about, about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there, uh, tried there regarding them. He says he's talking, Festus comes in, he just kind of thinks this guy's out of his mind. He kind of thinks he's crazy. He says he's talking about this guy. He's, he's having this religious dispute. He's talking about this guy, Jesus. He says he rose from the dead. This guy sounds insane. Um, I think a lot of people probably think that about Christianity until they dive in, and, they, and I think they encounter the resurrected Jesus, that that becomes so normal to us, and yet whenever Paul is talking about this guy coming back from the dead, Festus is like, this man is out of his mind. And again, rather than really engaging with God, engaging with Paul, engaging with what he is saying, Festus is very quick to say, hey, I just want to move on. I think we can all do this in our own lives whenever we have problems, whenever we are confronted by different things. It's like, I think we can just be passive. Just hope that the problem goes away. Hope that whatever is going forward um, is just going itself. I don't, I don't want to engage with this. We don't want to face those problems. It's easier um, to pass them off to the next person. It's easier um, to not engage with them. I, I think even um, in my own life, I, I, uh, I, if you guys feel like, man, Passivity is, is a struggle of yours. Like, I, I think I can be right there with you. I can, I can struggle to engage um, with what the Lord is bringing up in my life. I, I can want to, to disengage from God and say, man, man whatever is happening, whatever, whatever problem I am faced with is just too insurmountable, Lord. I just can't, yeah, I just can't uh, handle it. And I think God, what, what God wants to say is, is like, huh? I think he wants to encourage you. He's like, I don't think that you can handle it. But with my help, you can. Cast your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. This next trial is with Agrippa. And Agrippa kind of comes in. Agrippa is, is the king um, of Israel. At this point in time, he, he's the king in the area. Um, he, uh, he is uh, the great-great-great-grandson of Herod. Herod the Great, Herod's the one that was killing um, babies that tried to kill Jesus. And so he's kind of in this long line of just kind of like un, um, unhealthy kings. And he is, he is going to be, he is the last one of this line. Um, and this one I just have, King Agrippa is, is, a, is a bold verdict. So again, uh, Festus comes in and he's like, hey, Agrippa, like Agrippa's in town. He's like, hey, man, like I, I've got this guy, Paul. He's, he's claiming about these, 
this risen guy from the dead. He has this dispute. What, what, what do you think I should do? And Agrippa, um, definitely um, what he's about, who Paul is, has heard of him and says, all right, hey, like, I, I want to go meet this guy. I want to go see um, what he's about. And, and so he kind of comes in. He starts talking to him. And, and then Paul just starts to kind of dive into his story. Paul doesn't even bother telling this guy that, that, um, that he uh, is, is, um, that he is uh, innocent. By this point in time, he's like, uh, I, I'm just kind of over this. He just, starts talk, he just instantly starts going, talking about Jesus. Um, in 26.1, it says, So Grippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. <laughs> then Paul stretched out his hand and made this defense. And then he just starts to share his testimony. I'll pick up in in verse 6. It says, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. That he's on trial because of Jesus. That is what Paul is sold on. That the only reason that Paul is in jail is because of his hope and the promise. And so now I stand here on trial because of my hope. And the promise made my God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews. O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Agrippa is Jewish. So this is, so Paul is appealing to him based off of shared mutuality of being Jewish, that, that God that made himself known, promised to God and the fathers, to their fathers, to their people, that is who um, Paul is accused of worshiping. And then if we hop down to verse uh, 22, it says, To this day I've had this help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. That he just starts talking about um, all, of the, all of his accolades, that he um, was a Sadducee, that he um, was born a Jew, that he followed all the commandments, and that, that Jesus radically interceded in his life on the road to Damascus, and then that is how his life has been transformed. That he gives a Jewish apologetic that the, resu- that, that the resurrected Christ is the, mos- is the Messiah. The hope of Moses, the hope of the prophets, and the hope of Paul. Maybe the hope of the king. And again, like in, in all three of these, I just ask this question, is who's on trial? Because Paul, I'm going to show this right now, is that Paul is being kind of asked these questions by this, and then he immediately turns it back on Agrippa in Acts 26, 24. Um, you are out of your mind. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Vestas said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. 
he all of a sudden asks Agrippa in front of all of these people and says, do you believe the prophets, these prophets that declared that Jesus is coming, that Jesus is our hope? I don't, I don't know what is happening in Agrippa's life at, at this point, I, I, and, it, and we don't know that if he ever comes to know Jesus, that he ever starts to become a Christian and follows the way, follows God in this. But Agrippa said to this, whenever Paul says, Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Would you persuade me to be a Christian? That Paul, confronted by the king, who could set him free, has this chance to say, hey, this is why I should be set free. And instead, he goes and shares the gospel. And, and his question that he asks Agrippa is, is, do you believe? And Agrippa said, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a, a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, I am, except for these chains. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, which is he's a Christian, that he's following Jesus except for these chains. Man, this is the third time figures testimony in three chapters before all of these figures. And rather than, than putting himself on a pedestal to to go and leave. He, he continually puts Jesus to the forefront. Do you believe that you are free? Does that, does that sink into your life? Do you feel free? Think we can be, I think we can be bogged down by all of these different um, addictions, by stress, by um, expectations put on us by family members or friends, um, that we are just trying to juggle all of these things, and that does not feel free. I think I oftentimes can feel constrained. I can feel like, man, God, I just, I just don't have what it takes um, to carry this any longer. I can feel immobilized. I think those chains, they, they shackle us to the ground. I think they can feel constraining. They can feel heavy. I think they can feel um, insurmountable. Paul, the first thing that he is told in, in, verse, in chapter 9 is that he is going to suffer for my name's sake. And Paul says, sign me up. Maybe Paul is kind of crazy. Festus over here, maybe he's on to something saying that this man is crazy. See, in, in whenever Paul is in these trials, it's like I think Paul knows that he is guilty. But not anything that he's accused of. Rather, he knows that he was guilty before the Lord. And God declared him free. See, in the gospel, I think God is taking us all to court. 
He presents the charges against us, and that, that charge is just sin. And afterward, asks us, how do we plea? And it's like, we have, we have two options. We can say we're guilty, or we can say we're not guilty. If we plead not guilty, we can defend ourselves. We can defend ourselves in silence and ignorance, like Felix. We can, we can declare ourselves not guilty in defiance, in cross-examination like the Jews. We can, do it, we can do it passively like Festus or deflection like Agrippa. We have all of these different ways in which that we can answer that question, not guilty. Either way, I think, so if we can going to lose because God has all the evidence he needs to convict us. So if we can say that we're guilty or we're not, but I think the beauty of relenting and, and saying that we're guilty is, is that God then clothes us. I think I, I often think back of, of um, the, the um, parable of the prodigal son, that the prodigal son comes back and rather than um, receiving um, scorn or anything as, as the father hugs him he embraces him he throws a party for him he, he puts this robe on him that that is the gospel that we may think whether we're getting away with it now or just one day man maybe that maybe this stuff will catch up to us it's that no amount of good no amount of bad no amount of anything that we try to do to get ourselves out of these situations can get us out of of um, for us and set for God himself. God coming before us and saying, your bad is no longer held against you and you are free. Have you felt that freedom? Do you feel that freedom right now? I think it's okay if that answer is no. I want you to feel that freedom. I want to feel that freedom. I, I don't feel that freedom some days, most days, portions of days. I keep praying that I will feel this freedom, that I can really embrace this freedom, that I um, can, can fight the ways in which, uh, that's embarrassing. You don't, uh, if you don't fiddle with one thing, you're going to fiddle with something else and break something. So, um, there we go. Thanks. Where was I? Freedom. There we go. Thanks. Um, freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, the Proverbs say, like a, like a dog returns to his vomit, so a man returns to his folly. I think that we constantly return to our chains because our chains feel more comfortable than the freedom that God is offering us. That this, that this freedom in the gospel can feel overwhelming. But I want to encourage us that I think that this freedom is good. I think that this freedom is good. I think God is, is inviting us into that to, to really experience the wealth 
of what he wants to offer us. That, that um, I think whenever, if we, if we are a movie out of the straight through acts, um, I think if we were to, to make a video or a movie out of the life of Paul, like I think it would be incredible. The adventures that he went on, the things that he did, um, the people that he got to meet and talk to and interact with, and um, and uh, it's, it's not even done. Like next week, come back, I think you're going to see um, that even just more wild things are going to happen to Paul. Um, and yet, it, it's full of turmoil, it's, for, it's full of trials, but it's full of joy. And I think that he has just experienced that freedom um, that, that God is offering him. So what, what do we even, what do we use this, what do, you, what do we use this freedom for? It's like, I think we can, I think we need to look no further than what, what, does, what does Jesus do? He says, no, no, no one else has been ever, no one has been more free than Jesus, than God himself. What did the Son of God do with his freedom? He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He said to the twelve, I among you, as the one who serves, that he just came to serve. I think I have I think I have shared this freedom first, so I just started talking about build others up. Um, I think I, you can just bring them both up, Don. Sorry about that. That's my bad. Um, but yeah, build, build others up. Like Jesus comes to serve. Jesus comes as a servant. Jesus comes being low, propping other people up that he does not need to speak for himself. He lets God speak for him. And so therefore, what, what does he want to do? He wants other people to feel the freedom that he has. Share this freedom. God is, God, Jesus is constantly inviting other people to experience the power of the gospel with him. Paul is constantly, um, what a relationship. Experience this life change. Experience what God, um, what a relationship with God could look like. That in all of these instances, he is sharing the gospel and that he is inviting these men into his life and saying, hey, come and follow Jesus. And then building them up. Uh, um, a, uh, a theologian, he was, um, uh, he uh, was like, um, he head up the, the uh, Princeton uh, Theological Seminary um, before, they, before they became a, um, a, a private non-Christian school. They used to be a, it used to be a school of theology anyways. His name is B.B. Warfield. Um, he says this. Self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world, and self-sacrifice will lead us, his followers, not away from, but into the midst of men. Whether men suffer, there will, or there will we be to comfort. Wherever men strive, there, wherever men help. Wherever men fail, there will we be to uplift. Wherever men succeed, there will we be to rejoice. Self-sacrifice means not indifference to our times and our fellows. It means absorption in them. It means not that we should have lived one life, but a thousand lives, binding ourselves to a thousand souls by the filaments of so loving a sympathy that their lives become ours. That the freedom that God is offering is a freedom to sacrifice for other people, to share with other people, to bring other people, that, that by nature Christianity is 
a community. We see Paul do this over and over again, not just in these chapters today, um, but we see that in general, is that he is constantly inviting other people in and then building them up. There's one thing that I want, would want you guys to take away from this. I think it's back. The, the first, um, the first uh, thing I, I put up on, on the screen, or one of the first things, was because Jesus is alive, the greatest trial in our lives is already, already has a verdict. That your verdict, that if you have put your faith in Jesus, that that verdict is already answered. That you are seen blameless and holy, righteous because of Jesus, that we have Christ's righteousness imputed onto us, that, that we have that. How does that, how is that going to change your life? What is, what is next? I think that's what we get to find out, is that we get to, to explore with God what is next. I think I started off just encouraging you guys that that could take 20 years. It could take 20 days. It could take 20 years. But ultimately, as I can tell, um, we leave this earth that, that in continue to refine us, that God is going to continue um, to build in um, his kingdom into us, that, that, that kingdom mindset that, um, that, is going to, that is going to continue. That the more people try to bury like our hope in Jesus they try to blur our hope in Jesus I think what happened with Paul is that he became bolder and bolder in the truth that our verdict comes from Jesus I pray that that would be our truth today that his verdict um, would become bolder and bolder in our lives would you pray with me uh, Jesus that um, is our prayer today that um, that your verdict would be bold in our lives, that, that we can step into that boldly, confidently, faithfully um, in following you and pursuing you, Lord. Amen.